Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Kickstarter Spotlight episode, and today we're going to be covering something a little bit different. Uh, normally, we cover comic Kickstarters, but today we're going to be talking about a Kickstarter for a short film that's from a writer who's done plenty of work in the comic field, as well as uh, a lot of other writing for television and whatnot. Uh, you may know him from the uh, podcast Fat Man Beyond. Uh, we've wanted to have him on the show forever, been talking about it for a long time. It's finally my pleasure to welcome Mark Bernardin to the show. Mark, thanks for taking the time. It is my pleasure, Jace. Thanks for asking me, man. It should be fun. Yeah, uh, ever since I think maybe it was Comic-Con 2016 when Genius was announced there, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to have you on to talk about it. It's a fantastic series. There's a, a, a couple of volumes and the story's not over. So, man, it would be great. <laughs> not by a long shot. Yeah, go back to yeah, that. We would we would love to, you know, every every uh, few months, you know, Adam and I, who's one of my oldest friends, you know, we'll get together and we'll just say, you would, you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to do more of that? And then we say, yes, it would be. Um, and uh, and we were just waiting for the good folks at Top Cow for their for all their ducks to be in order to, to allow us to, to get into it one more time. Fantastic. Because at the very least, there's an ending to be done. I'll have to be sure and bug Matt next time I see him or, or every time I see him from now. Hey, we need that. There you go. Um, but real quick, before we start diving into to Splinter and then maybe we'll talk about a few of the other things you've done. Why don't you give everybody a quick intro? You know, I mentioned that you're, you're kind of a jack of all trades. You started in kind of entertainment journalism uh, and now you're you know creating your own content, both, uh, you know, trying to bring a, a short film to life, working uh, in, in many uh, television writer rooms and, and the comic stuff. So. Give us a quick uh, intro into uh, how you got started and, and what it is that you do. Yeah, no, quick primer. I, uh, I've been a nerd since I can remember. Um, you know, Star Wars was the first movie I saw in a theater, which, you know, I, I, I feel like is not an entirely unique origin story. Um, grew up on the East Coast, deep fan of comics and, and science fiction and fantasy novels and the whole shebang. Um, went to school wanting to be a filmmaker. Um, I needed three credits to graduate, and I got those three credits working at a magazine called Starlog Magazine. Um, and from there, I started what would ultimately be about a 20-year career working in entertainment journalism. I went from Starlog to Entertainment Weekly, from there to The Hollywood Reporter and io9, and did some freelance around for places like Vulture and Wired and Empire. Um, and uh, then ended up at the LA Times and Playboy in there for a stretch, just always being an entertainment journalist, always getting to preach um, from the nerd pulpit and helping to spread the word uh, about these things that we have loved for so long that the mass audience was just beginning to get their, their hooks into. And then from there, um, started writing comic books, wrote some stuff for DC, for Marvel, um, some independent books, um, things like Genius, which we you know talked about a little bit, um, the Highwaymen for DC, some Marvel one shots here and there, um, uh, some graphic novels. Uh, the latest of which is called Adora and the Distance, which will be out in uh, in June from Comicsology, um, which then led me into television and got to work on shows like Alphas and the first season of Castle Rock and Treadstone and Star Trek Picard and. Masters of the Universe Revelation, which will also be out in July, I think. Um, getting to dabble in lots of things uh, for, for lots of people, but always kind of hewing close to the fact that, you know, nerd was the girl who brought me to this dance. And so I will stick with the nerd until I uh, until I bow out. 
So being that you, you know, you kind of had your foot in the door starting at, at Starlog, you know, classic science fiction magazine, and then being in that that space of entertainment journalism for so long, but always having the desire to really create your own content rather than, because don't get me wrong, there's a lot to be said for kind of spreading the word and, hey, these are things you should see. I, I saw somebody recently on social media that was um, giving you a lot of credit for shouting out a, a small independent book that you uh, covered in Entertainment Weekly that kind of they feel led to it getting a, a bigger audience. So yeah, there's there's a lot of value there. Um, but you did sort of take a leap of faith when you left that successful kind of career behind to say, no, it's it's finally time. Can you talk a little bit about making that decision and the anxiety that went along with it and, and kind of making that leap of faith? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was about... Well, it's like four years between the first job on a TV staff and then my second job, the first job being Alphas and the second one being Castle Rock. And in those four years, you know, it's the the desire to try and, and get back into the promised land. You know, once you've had a taste from uh, from the Horn of Plenty, you just keep wanting to be able to, to pull another draft off of that keg. And it's hard. Like it's really breaking in is hard, staying in is hard. And, you know, I, I had I had done the requisite things. Like I kept on writing samples to, to get into the world. Like I moved to Los Angeles to, to be closer to where the opportunities were, but they just weren't breaking for me um, as they don't break for most people because it's an incredibly hard, uh, hard job to get. And there was moments of, of real doubt because it's, I moved my family cross country to do this. I'm, I have a pretty good career as a journalist, but I keep wanting this other thing, um, which there's no way to know if it's actually in the cards for me or not. But I'm, I, I felt the need to, to exhaust every possible circumstance on my path there. And so, you know, there, there were a couple of times where I really thought about abandoning the dream because, you know, uh, I think it's a generational thing. Like I'm just old enough so that my, I remember my dad for a very long time doing a job. I can't imagine he loved, like he was an accountant, like who loves being an accountant? Like, I'm not sure anybody does, but people do it because it's a job that needs doing. And that's, that's, that's my father's generation was the get a job. That's good. That'll give you benefits. That'll eventually you can retire doing um, and be happy because you made your family happy. Um, and, and maybe, maybe dreams are not in the cards for you. Um, and so I, I kept on getting to the like the one last script phase of like, I'm going to write one more thing. And if nothing happens over it, if, if I get no purchase, if this ground does not prove fertile, then I will just abandon it and go back to a very good career as an entertainment journalist. Um, and, and every time I would get to that one last script phase, one new thing would happen because of it. Um, you know, one, I would meet one person or I would, I would find a new piece of representation, imagine an agent who would believe in me, who thought that they could make um, some magic happen. Um, and then the, the Castle Rock, the script that I wrote, and that was going to be the last one, landed me on Castle Rock, which then led to the beginning of a career. Um, and it's, it's all about momentum. It's all about, you know, once, once you have that foot in the door, how can you exploit it? How can you capitalize on it? How can you help to make yourself undeniable? Because otherwise they will find handily ways to deny you because there's always somebody else that they could hire. Um, it's a little bit of, of, uh, of mania. It's a little bit of denial. Um, but I think that, that you, you chase the dreams a little bit past the realm of reason. Um, and then you hope that the dreams will, will come true. And if they don't, you did your best. 
I didn't, I didn't want it to be my failing. Like, it's not my fault that it didn't happen. <laughs> I did everything I could do. Right. Um, and I, I felt like I was at the end of the everything I could do rope when something finally happened. Yeah, and, and in a way, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, from an early time wanting to be a filmmaker. Um, and so, you know, you start in the, the journalism stuff and then you move to actually writing, but you still haven't, you know, been on set and been the guy, right? Telling the story that you want to tell. And so in the same way, that's kind of, it's kind of an extension of what you're talking about getting to do Splinter, uh, which we'll, we'll get into uh, in a second. But uh, one last question kind of about the, the journey and also like where you are now. Obviously you're, you're taking that next step with Splinter, um, but where you are now, you know, writing and, and contributing to these, uh, these other properties, whether it be Treadstone or you know, Stephen King's universe in, in Castle Rock, or, you know, Masters of the Universe, which is, you know, from everything I've heard and from what Kevin Smith has, his reactions online looks like it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I mean, I think for our generation, there's so much nostalgia wrapped up, so I can't wait to see what you guys have put together. Um, but is it important when you're in this world to really make sure you're, I mean, I know you always hustle, but you need to have your finger and fingers in multiple pies, right? I mean, that's got to be tough to juggle because you never know when the next thing, as you said, is going to come along or, you know, they're going to find a way to kind of show you the door. Um, and, and would you like comics to be a part of that? Like, how does, how does comic to bring it back around to comics? How does that fit in there? I mean, it must be hard to juggle different, uh, you know, sort of properties and different projects. And I know writing for obviously a script for comic is different than writing a script for TV. So talk a little bit about the multitasking and, and what goes into it. Uh, Cause I know there are plenty of people that listen to this that aspire to be comic writers and hope that, uh, is a platform to, you know, be a stepping stone to, to go to something further. Uh, but the hustle never stops, right? The the, the grind continues. Um, and it is very much about, you know, um, it's like you're, it's like you're a cooking rat in a Disney kitchen. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's 14 pots that are on various burners. And some of them are, are on high flame because you're cooking them in, in the moment. Some of them are stews that are in the back burner. They're just kind of simmering and percolating. Um, it's all about having lots of things going because you never know when one is going to go. You never know when two are going to go. You never know when the thing that you thought was going to go completely flames out. And there's just something you have to throw in the sink because it, it, it tastes like crap. So to continue to murder that analogy, you just have to keep uh, as many things cooking as you can. Um, the, the high class problem to have is, more things come to a boil than you expected at the same time. Um, but that is just, it's, it's the, it's the danger in the game where it's, you have to like, yeah, I got to have all these things, all these plates spinning and then maybe three or four of them feel like they're going to fall that need attention. Um, but the thing that, that, that comics does for me is as much as I love television, which I do. And as much as I love movies, which, you know, I'd love to get to play more in that space. Um, Comics are an incredibly pure form of expression in that there's maybe two or three layers between you, the writer, and the audience. You know, there's the publisher, you know, or editor who's the person who says, hey, you look like you could do this. Would you like to give this a shot? Or I pitch them an idea and they say yes. There's the artist who's interpreting, you know, much of what the words is going to be. And that's it. Then, then it hits the audience, and it's this kind of unfiltered expression that's un, impossible in almost any other medium. There's like writing a novel, and there's doing a comic, and then once you get to TV, there's 300 people 
who will have some say in what it is. Lots of executives, lots of people who are spending the money, and then the various people who are helping you realize it from the from your showrunner to the actors, to the editor, to the directors, to the production designers, all these people who are you know making some interpretation of what your intent was on the page to realize it uh, on the screen. And that is also an incredibly wonderful and empowering experience, but it's not as pure as the comic experience is. And so there, there's always a piece of me that's going to want to have a foot in comics because there's sometimes there's things you want to say that you'd like to be able to say, you know, without too many people interpreting that sentiment along the way. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like, you know, if you're a kid in a, in a garage band, you know, and you're just like, hey, it's the four of us, right? We're going to, we're going to make music that's going to change the world. And it's just you four and you cut a mixtape off at somebody's box radio in the garage and it goes out into the world. Like there was no barrier between you and the people who would listen to that music. And comics is very much that way. You know, it, it, even, even at the highest level, there's this feeling of like, we're just kids in a garage, just making a thing. Right. Like that's cool. Even, even doing a Marvel book, like it's my editor and the artist and maybe some group editor above him, but it's maybe four people who are deciding like what Spider-Man's going to do this month. And that's pretty rad. Um, and it's, it's impossible to get in filmed media. Well, the timeline's much different as well, right? I mean, you, when you write a comic, you know, within a few months, you, it's out there mm -hmm. in the world to get the audience reaction. Obviously television, much longer film can be in development for even longer than that. So uh, I've heard from yeah. a lot of writers, they love more immediacy. They can get an idea, and within a few months, you know, it's out there in the world as opposed to television or, or film. Yeah. And if you're if you're Robert Kirkman, um, the impossibly wealthy Robert Kirkman, the, the, the span between him writing a thing and it being on the stands can be weeks. Yeah. You know, like as a partner in image, like he can 100 percent like, hey, hey, guys, we got this. Let's do this. Here's my idea. You draw it. It'll take you a couple of weeks. Simultaneously, we're already beginning to print covers and like the machinery can move. Um for somebody like that different than for somebody like me, but yeah, it's months and sometimes years in TV, um, which, Hey, it's a great thing. Like I wrote the episode of um, my episode of masters of the universe almost a year and a half ago, it feels like, mm -hmm. and it'll be coming out later this year. And, and that distance is kind of wonderful. Like I got to see um, the first batch of episodes last week and like the things that I forgot we did is now surprised to me. It's like, Oh shit, we did that. That is fucking cool. Um, you know, pardon my language. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it becomes a surprise to me all over again. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, it's almost like you get to re-experience that you're rediscovering your own, your, mm -hmm. your own ideas. That's, uh, that's interesting, especially when you've done other things in the meantime, I imagine that kind of pushes it to the back of your mind. Uh, but we're here, we're here to talk about Splinter, which is this, uh, this Kickstarter for a short film that you, uh, that you launched and we're going to get into the details of what it's about. Um, and uh, it's got to come from a love of, of Twilight Zone. I think I heard you say that somewhere because it does sound like a, a wonderful Twilight Zone episode. Um, and it just, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, so again, going back to this idea of you taking the next step, you know, always wanting to be that filmmaker and, and now you're at a place, Hey, maybe I can get this done. Talk a little bit about deciding to, uh, to crowdfund it. Um, well, actually, why don't you start with telling everybody what the elevator pitch, what the story is about, and then talk about the decision to uh, to go crowdfunding to try to get this made. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the quick elevator pitch without giving too much away, because because it is much like a Twilight Zone, um, the, the, two, the, the more you tell about it, the more you give away the, the, the sort of the game of it. But it is set on this airplane that never lands. Um, and the passenger, there's a single passenger on this plane who's a 10-year-old boy. Um, and the entire apparatus, the crew, the pilots, the, the stewards, all of it, um, are just catering to this child. Um, and so the question is, why is this child on this plane? Why does this plane never land? And what happens if it does? Um, you know, why is this, why is this boy who by all lights is, is innocent of any wrongdoing ultimately in this very elaborate prison, um, that, uh, that keeps him aloft for the entirety of his life? How did he get here? Why is he here? Are all questions that we answer in the short, um, to sort of dig deep into, um, you know, do, do the, does the good of the many really outweigh the good of the few or the one? Um, and does, does an abominable thing being done to an innocent um, absolve us of the guilt of doing it if the fate of the world is in the balance? Um, and, so, and so, yeah, it's very much Twilight zone It's very much like wrestling with these sort of big moral questions um, while wrapping it in what I'm hoping is a kind of cool environment we've never seen before with a predicament that we've never encountered before. Um, uh, you know, the, and the desire to do it came from, you know, I mentioned it on, on the podcast a, a week or so ago, but there was a moment where Kevin Smith was per, approached to do an episode of the Twilight Zone of so the Jordan Peele new incarnation of it. And then he calls me and he's like, hey, man, do you want to do a Twilight Zone? And I said, yes, I want to do a Twilight Zone. Um, and we talked about it for a bit. And then I was on a flight coming from home from Vancouver um, and, and realizing that, like, there's things that Twilight Zone always does. And every version of the Twilight Zone, there's always an episode on a plane um, because it's very much about the world, you know, and finding ways to tweak the world, you know, and to make it somewhat sinister. And there's always a, sh a show about a kid. Um, and a kid with power. And, uh, and I sort of like during that flight fused those two things together and kind of wrote him this, you know, like three paragraph email, just what if it's this? And then out sort of poured this pitch, which ultimately is, is pretty much what Splinter is. Um, the Twilight Zone opportunity sort of evaporated and that never happened. And, you know, we never spoke of it again, but I just love that story. And I love the things that it got to talk about. It gets to talk about things like destiny and fate and faith and blame and, and, and how we protect ourselves from the things that we don't want to face. Um, and at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I just started to think about that. I started to think about that idea and that, that, that pitch for that short. I had friends, um, colleagues and contemporaries who had also similarly sort of taken the, the, the dive into wanting to make a short film. You know, they've been working in TV for, in some cases, decades, and just wanted that feeling of, I want to make the thing. I just want to do the thing. Um, they, way wiser than I, um, were far less ambitious in the thing that they wanted to make. Um, because once I finished the script and I approached a, a couple of friends, a, a couple of producer friends, and said, hey, what do you think this would cost? I'm prepared to spend X of my own money on this, but I'm not sure if that'll be enough. So do the thing that you do as a line producer and go through the script line by line and see how much it'll cost. And then they came back with a figure that was more than I was prepared to spend. Um, and so then the question became, 
do I come up with a completely different idea and, and, and throttle back on my ambitions and find something that's more easily producible? Or do I embrace this as what it is and it's slightly bigger and more ambitious and then see if there's a way to raise these funds um, going to a crowdfunding platform to do so? And I was hesitant and tentative and nervous and completely of the belief that we were asking for too much. Um, that every every bit of research that I did on short films and, and Kickstarter and, and GoFundMe and, and Indiegogo was, oh yeah, buddy, you're asking for like four times more than your average short film gets. And sometimes those short films have a struggle in making their goal. Um, but Kevin was a very large uh, booster in the I think, buddy, this audience uh, is is bigger than you think it is and is more supportive than we've ever even attempted to ask them for. Um, I think there's more love for you out there in the world than you think there is. And I'm confident that if you do this, you will find yourself in a, in a happy place by the time it's over. Um, I guess emboldened by his faith um, and nothing but... <laughs> <laughs> um, we sort of made the plan to like, let's launch a Kickstarter. Let's, you know, talk about it as often as we can. Let's enlist the cast and crew to help sort of evangelize for it. Um, and let's, let's take it to the streets and see if, if, if ultimately if Kevin is right and I am wrong and, uh, and I'm happy to have been proven wrong. Yeah. The, the thing about it, it I mean, that must've been a, a difficult choice because, you know, as you said, it, it's like, the worst thing in the world is to put this thing out there and and nobody cares, right? Nobody shows up to pledge, and you know it. it that, that's that's worse than uh, you know holding on or, or dialing it back. But at the same time, there must have been a feeling on your part, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you want to create the story that you originally envisioned, right? Like you kind of you you came up with this incredible idea, and you want to do it justice. You want to you know you want to give the story and the short film every chance to succeed and, and if you're cutting corners that's not in service to the story and, and then you know it, it could fail in that way and and i don't know did you did you those must have been the things you weighed and i, I gotta think that okay maybe if i ask for half as much and then but it's not as good as it can be then people are you know gonna regret backing it i mean why not swing for the fences right yeah i mean it's i, I had a I had a boss once who loved this turn of phrase and i've never forgotten it which is you know, uh, a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for, you know, like the idea that at some point you just have to reach for it and go for it. And um, there's there's a part of me that believes that deeply. Otherwise, you don't, you know, I don't get to be a TV writer if I don't have some wild hair up my ass belief that the impossible is possible. And that 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 temperament that guiding light has done pretty well for me so far. And so ultimately, why, why, why stop reaching for the impossible now? And so, yeah, like there's, I could have rewritten it and taken it down and made it shorter. And maybe we're not on a plane and maybe we're on a, we're in a basement of some hotel somewhere. Maybe we're whatever. Like there's, there's the version of other shorts from friends who've made amazing work. That's like three people in a hotel room. You know, or it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, the, the, the night a marriage splits up. And so you're in an apartment, you know, and perhaps the outside world is on fire or whatever it is. Like you can still, there's ways to do that and do that incredibly well. 
But I was like, man, but this is the story though. Like this is the one, you know, and if I'm going to do it, then let's just do it. Um, and if we fail, we fail. You know, if we come up short, you know, the problem with Kickstarter is it's all or nothing. So right. we, we couldn't have raised, we were asking for $90,000. We couldn't have gotten to 87. And then, you know, like, well, well I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, well, we can cut a little here or there, make it a few minutes shorter. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's all or nothing. Uh, but then you launch and how quickly did you hit the 90,000 mark? <laughs> We, uh, we, we hit the 90,000 mark. Like I expected, I fully expected us to like be hauling the carcass over the finish line on like day 29 of the campaign. And just like me rattling a cup outside of my family's houses. Like, come on guys, if I give you a thousand dollars, can you put this thousand dollars into the campaign just so that we get there? Um, but we raised, we raised our, our, our initial goal in 14 hours. Um, we went from zero to 90 in 14 hours, which, which blew my mind, you know, because a decent chunk of those 14 hours, I was asleep, you know, like the, the West coast where I am was dark from midnight until 7am when I woke up and I woke up to like $20,000, um, which all came from international overseas, a bit from New York, you know, and like, oh, oh, okay. So that's not bad. I feel pretty good about that. Uh, you know, one of my producers says, if you can get a third of your budget within the first day of launch, then, then it, it, it bodes pretty well. And so we got that in the first few hours. Like, okay, all right, that's great. And then LA woke up and then things just started to take off and people, you know, reached deep and, and were incredibly generous. And, you know, by, you know, three o'clock that afternoon, in LA, we had, we had made our nut. Um, and I was, I was in the writer's room, like I was working. So I couldn't be, you know, sort of monitoring this, living the, the every minute biting my fingernails of how we're doing. And so That's people big. kept on, yeah, like he, people kept on, like Kevin would be texting me and I can like kind of see it in the corner of my, my desktop. It's like, hey man, you're at you're at 80k, ten thousand dollars away. Like, hey man, this is eight thousand dollars. It's at five thousand dollars. You're almost there, and I'm just kind of like trying to hold it together and keep my myself, you know, professional and at work and invested in the in the job at hand. While, you know, I'm getting these periodic updates, like these flares in the distance of like, man, you're almost there. The fireworks are going off when he's like, congrats, you made it, um, which was incredibly surreal, but uh, but completely wonderful at the same time. And, and in fact, you uh, you had put one stretch goal up there and you've hit that first stretch goal, which means you're gonna get to do all the post-production and special effects and visual effects and things that you want. And you, you have surpassed that goal, I think by a, at least 10,000 as we, as we see your time. Yeah. So do you have an idea? Like our, fir our first stretch goal was 110, which was gonna cover the VFX. Gotcha. And then the last stretch goal was 140, which would cover everything. Like it's right. post and music and color timing and all, all of that stuff. And so now we're at, as of taping, we're at 155, I think. Um, which is, I, 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 I have no real words and no frame of reference for this because it's, it's unique in my experience. Um, but, uh, but now it's, yeah, we can do it exactly as we thought we'd, we'd want to do it. We can, we can pay everybody what they're worth. Nobody has to take a, a friends and family discount. You know, we can, we can make it look as shiny as it can be. We can 
maybe buy an extra day of production that we might be able to need for, for pickups or whatever. I can go back and rewrite the script maybe and make it a little bit bigger, um, you know, and give some of the, the, the amazing performers that we have a little bit more meat on the bones. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like it's, it, it has opened up possibilities that I had previously walled off as impossible. So is that your, is that your plan as this thing continues to grow? I mean, everything you get is going to go into just making this bigger and better as you, uh, you know, like, let's say uh, you got it to 200,000, you know, would it, it would go back in. And then I, I also know that you uh, were talking about using any funds beyond the, uh, the production budget to, you know, enter it into, uh, you know, film festivals and, and things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, because I want our listeners to know, it's not like, if this gets to some insane amount, Mark's just going to take the extra and stick it in his pocket. That that's not your plan at all. Correct. Yeah. I, I will not make any money on this. You know, it is not about getting me paid. Um, you know, if anything, I was always prepared to be putting my own money into it. Um, you know, uh, a shirt is not a money-making proposition for anybody um, because there's very little aftermarket for it. Like you can't really sell it anywhere. Um, you know, you can't, there's, there's a tiny sliver of hope that a place like Netflix or Hulu or, or Amazon would start programming live action shorts into their, uh, adding them to their platforms, but it's not like a movie. We can't sell it to, you know, Showtime or HBO or, or, you know, Fox Searchlight, which doesn't even exist anymore. There's no real aftermarket for it. So, the hope was to make the best short that we could make and then get it out to as many people as we could. And if that involves, you know, festival entry fees and, and travel and stuff like that, then great. If it's just making it the best version that we can, if it's making, Hey, we get, we, we got an amazing production designer. Now we got to pay for awesome costumes, which we were just going to ask the cast to show up in their clothes on the day. But now like we can make some stuff, you know, now we can, we can afford all those things. We were trying to find ways to cut corners on. You know, there's there's a companion podcast that I want to do that will fill in some of the story blanks um, from the from the short, and like Phil Lamar is going to come on, and 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 Rekha Sharma are going to voice that, and so now we're going to produce a scripted podcast, which you know will cost money, but it will come for free to anybody who has already backed the the podcast. Like it's it's not an additional reward tier. It's not an additional thing that a backer has to. If you are going to get the movie, you will now get the podcast as well. Um, and that is just you know at this point, it's how can I give more things to this audience who's clearly come because they're invested in the concept and they're invested in me and they deserve to be rewarded for that faith. And so give them a big shiny free thing that they didn't think they were going to get before. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a, as a back, like I, I have to say, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I, I think you're a very talented writer. I, I absolutely love genius um, and it's sequel and hope we get the end of that story. Like we were talking about earlier. So I completely trust you. Plus, you know, just reading your, you know, the kind of the breakdown on the Kickstarter page of the idea. It's so amazing. I want this thing to exist and I want you to be able to make it and, and cut no corners and just give us everything that we can. And, you know, hearing about doing a podcast to flesh it out is, is spectacular as well. So Again, congratulations, and we hope everybody continues to uh, support it. And, you know, there's plenty of different tiers, and we'll talk about that toward the end, how you can go and join and be a part of the campaign and be sure you can experience this short film and experiencing uh, experience the podcast. Uh, but I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the cast and crew, uh, who's, who's involved, why you uh, chose them. Um, but real quick, before we do that, I want to remind everybody that uh, even if this is not for you or you don't have the means to back it, 
like I always do on these Kickstarter spotlights, the way you can help out Mark and his team and the whole cast and the whole crew is to just share it on social media. Put it out there, even if, it, like I said, it's not for you or, you or you wish you could back it, but you just can't afford it right now. Just share it on social media, every platform you can, because as I always say, there's nothing worse than finding a campaign you would have loved to have been a part of and it finished a day earlier or a week earlier or what have you. So put it out there so everybody who who does have the means or does want to join or does want to get really excited and become a part of this Splinter community, because it really has become a community in a very short period of time, just please share it on social media uh, because it really, it really helps out everybody. Uh, so yeah, Mark, talk a little bit about the, the cast and crew. You, you have some names that people are going to recognize. Um, so talk a little bit about uh, how they came on board the project and, you know, did when you were writing it, uh, conceiving this idea, did were people's names popping in your head? Like, I know you're, you're good friends with Trisha Helfer. Did you like, oh, I'm, I'm writing this part and that's who I have in mind, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm, uh, the first person who read it um, outside my immediate family was Yatide Badaki, who I always had in mind to be playing the lead, um, Morgan, who, who is ultimately like a caretaker for this boy who is at the center of our drama. She's a teacher, she's a babysitter, she's a counselor, she's a handholder. Um, she's his, you know, first and last contact any given day. Um, you know, and I, and I, I was a fan of hers from American Gods, um, which is remarkable work um, she's done on that show. And, and got to know her a little bit as a journalist and as a friend and, you know, discovered her deep, deep geek. Like she is hardcore into things that, that you would, you might not imagine um, somebody like Yatiri would be into, but she's a hundred percent, you know, died in the world nerd. And, uh, and I sent it to her first and I said, I'd like you to play this lead. And she, you know, called me immediately and was like, I would happily do this, you know, jumping up and down. Like, this sounds great. The script is great. I'm just, I'm invested in this in any way that you need me to be invested in. And uh, which was fantastic. And yeah, Trisha was, you know, somebody who I spent, you know, three years podcasting with and got to know very, very well. And, you know, there, there was a moment when uh, upon writing it, the cast was initially going to be made up of, you know, lots, you know, um, male, female, um, intersex, like it was just going to be a, a sort of hodgepodge of, uh, of you know, slices of, of humanity. But the more I start to think about it, the more it seemed, uh, not to say obvious, but clear to me that the cast, the people on this plane would all be of one gender. Um, because the, the, if there's an organization that is afoot here that has made this, this apparatus possible, you would want the least amount of conflict on board that plane. Um, and so if you would want the sort of female nurturing caretaker um, as part of that, then you would staff around that person and make it so that there was no static in any particular way. And so they became clear, all right, then this cast is going to be mostly female. Um, if not entirely female. And so that became like, all right, let's cast Trisha clearly would be, you know, the pilot of this plane. She's, she's definitely got this regal bearing and this, this sense of authority um, and expertise. Um, and, uh, and her co-pilot is being played by Tiffany Smith, who I've known for a very long time. Um, and so this, this feeling of, of, of being able to pull on my friends and colleagues and coworkers and and people that I've admired from a long time and and being able to work with them uh, was a sort of dream, you know. And and Rachel Walker, who's my producer, and Carrie Finn, who's my line producer. I've known Rachel. I've known Rachel's dad, Jeff Walker, who's a publicist in, in Hollywood. He was one of the key figures 
in bringing nerd stuff to Comic-Con. Um, at the very, he was the publicist on Alien back in the day. Like, I think he consulted Charlie Lippincott on the Star Wars campaigns way back when. Um, and so she comes from a long line of nerds. Um, she's produced a whole mess of shorts and she's, you know, run the festival gamut. And, and so, and she knows how to do it sort of lean and mean. And I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. You should be the person. Like, I trust you. You know how to get this done. Um, more than I know how to get it done because I've never made a short before. Um, Carrie Finn came highly recommended to me um, and she looked at the script and she was willing to work it and willing to work with it and with me. And, and so far the collaboration has been really, really smooth. Um, and then my director of photography um, just sort of came via, you know, sort of reaching out on social media saying, Hey, I'm looking for a cinematographer who is out there. And, uh, and her name is Ketumetsi Makawana. Um, she's from South Africa, uh, emigrated here to the States um, not too long ago. But looking at her at her reel and at her samples, you know, the thing that I was looking for was for A, somebody who knew how to, to shoot women, um, specifically women of color, and somebody who knew how to use color as part of their storytelling palette. Because we were going to be on a plane, and planes can be very just beige and gray and boring. And how can we infuse these spaces with a sense of life and vibrancy that will also help inform the tone of the story we're trying to tell. And so, and, and getting to talk to her and getting to see where she came from and, and how she likes to work. Um, it, it was pretty clear early on, like, yeah, no, I think she's the one. And so now we've got to, we've got to find the rest of our crew. Like now that we know we're making a movie, now that for real, like we have our budget, we know it's going to happen. Now it's time to bring on the rest of the crew and the production designers and the sound engineers and the, and the first and second ADs and all of these people. And, and, uh, and I'm so thrilled that Bear McCreary, the great and wonderful Bear McCreary, um, who did music for shows like Battlestar Galactica and The Walking Dead and, um, and, and Outlander and Black Sails and is currently at work hard at work on on masters universe revelation um i was like do you think you might want to can you have some time and he's like i will at the very least give you a theme um that we can work with finding another young composer to help build out but i will happily work with you on this because and he's the the nicest guy in the world and his his spine is full of metal um and by metal i mean headbanging sort of metal and so you know Getting, getting somebody of that caliber to come on board this sort of suspense ride through the air is, is a dream come true. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's colleagues, it's friends, it's people that I'm deep admirers of uh, who all read the script and have responded to it, you know, because I think that, that that gets to be the magnet for, for something like this, which nobody's getting what they would get, you know, if Trish is doing Lucifer or if, you know, Tiffany is doing Supernatural or if Yatide is doing American Gods, I can't pay them what they get there. Um, so the only thing they're getting out of this is getting to work on a thing that they believe in. Um, and it's, it, and it, it means the world to me that they do. Well, I think there's a lot to be said uh, for making things that you believe in with your friends, right? Like I just, recently was reading this article about A Knight's Tale, you know, the, the, the Keith Ledger film, it just celebrated his 20th anniversary. It was a story that I hadn't heard about how Keith went over or like a couple weeks before or even earlier before production started and invited everybody else to come over. And they thought they were going to train on horses and, and practice some sword fights. And that took all of one afternoon. And they spent the rest of the two weeks just walking around the capital of Czech, going into these old dive bars and just experiencing. And they all became 
really good friends, your cast and some of the crew are bringing that built-in friendship already. And I mean, I love that film and in a way it's lightning in a bottle and as, as consumers, and this is true of comics and the collaborative nature of that, I can tell when um, a creative team is first of all, passionate about the project and they love what they're doing and they believe in it. And they're having a hell of a lot of fun putting it together. It, there's, there's no way to artificially create that. And I know this is your first chance to, to kind of be on set, uh, you know, as the guy in charge, but have you ever experienced that with uh, any of the writer's rooms that, that you were in? Uh, have you experienced the opposite? Do you believe this to be true? Like if everybody's having fun, the final product just comes out that much better. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I a hundred percent believe that the work that we get to do should be fun. You know, when it isn't, it's always this weird, like karmic crime where it's like, guys, we're making comics. Why is this not more fun? Right. Like guys, we're making like, did it's, it's masters of the universe. We should be having a blast. Right. And when you are, then it doesn't feel like work anymore. You know, it feels like you're just getting to, to hang out with your friends and do something cool. Um, you know, the, of, of the sets I've been lucky enough to visit, um, I always have the most fun on Kevin Smith sets because he realizes that like, I'm, 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 I'm hosting a party. You know, I've invited my friends. Um, we're all going to do some cool stuff. We're going to play some cool games. My job is to make sure this party continues to be fun, to move us from activity to activity in a way that feels kind of seamless and to get the best out of people who seem to want to give the best. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it definitely meant a lot to me for my first time out to be working with people with whom I had a, a level of comfort and familiarity already. And that, that hopefully, you know, they would forgive my rookie mistakes um, and help to sort of gloss over the bumps in the road as I figure out what the hell I'm doing once I get, um, you know, on a set where people are looking to me for guidance. Um, you know, and, and hopefully that, that feeling of camaraderie and of investment and, and respect and value can, uh, can permeate it, even for the people that I don't know going in, you know, even for the people that I've, that I've never met who I will, you know, hopefully come to call on trusted collaborators by the time we're done. But yeah, it should be fun, man. We're making, we're playing make-believe, you know, we're, we're all hanging out on a plane that's definitely not taken off from the, from the ground and we're all pretending to be in a place that we're not and doing things that we're not. I'm like, come on, this is what we wanted to do when we were like seven and now we're yeah. getting to for real. Yeah. And I think it would be fantastic for them to be a part of this, you know, your first foray out there, you know, uh, getting the swing for the fences on an incredibly uh, successful Kickstarter. So, you know, you'll always remember this cat. I think everybody, you know, the whole cast, the whole crew, everybody, uh, after this is out there in the world and I expect it to be, you know, completely enthralling and entertaining, you, you know, you're never going to forget these people. And I just think that's amazing that you're on that, that path. The other thing I think is great, you know, I've heard Kevin say before about uh, being on, on his set, how he feels like he's the, he's not necessarily the director, he's the narrator, right? And he doesn't want to keep secrets from everybody. Everybody is, is pulling in the same direction. Everybody is trying to make the thing and make it the best it can be. So it's not whispered conversations over here and, you know, hashing this out, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. It's it's everybody's involved and everybody knows what's going on and everything. And so uh, the fact that you have, you know, a friendship with him and, and you'll be able to, you know, call him up and ask questions and you've experienced what life is like on his set, I think that bodes very well for you uh, as well. So you must be kind of uh, excited and that must give you a level of confidence that, hey, I might make some mistakes and that's how we all learn. Um, but you got some pretty good resources behind you. 
yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky in that I have friends um, who have done this before and who have deep experience on this side of, of, the, of the road who have opened themselves up and says, hey, if you have any questions, give me a call. If you have any concerns, by all means, reach out. Um, and, and that feeling of, you know, be, be the person who can answer every question. Um, and, and I mean, it's, it's, to a certain degree, it's like managerial tactics 101, mm-hmm. which is if somebody asks you a question, answer it because indecision is worse than the wrong decision. You know, like you can always kind of go back and figure some stuff out. You know, and as Kevin says, narrating what the day is going to be, you know, like managerial, like the second lesson in that is that good managing is uh, achievable goals effectively communicated. Like, what are we trying to do? This is what we're trying to achieve. How are we going to get there? That's for all of us to figure out. But we all now know what we're trying to do. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the easiest route to failure is to keep too many things close to the vest because then nobody can tell you. Nobody can give you what you want if you don't tell them what you want. Um, and so trying to internalize these lessons and trying to, 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 to realize that um, it's a bit like um, gambling. It's a bit like sitting down to a blackjack table. Like the cards will do what the cards will do. You need to bet according to the cards, not according to what numbers are on the chips. You know, no matter if it's a, you, you double down on a 10, whether you've got a $10 bet or a thousand dollar bet, because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. You know? And so when you're on the set, like, yeah, man, sure. You're spending $40,000 today, which is money that could put a kid through college, but you still have to make these decisions based on what's best for the story. You know, you can't equivocate because it's suddenly really expensive and suddenly because you're doing a thing that you're not sure that you can do. The thing you know is the story. Um, and that's, that can be the, the sort of the headpiece of the staff of Ra to lead you uh, down this particularly fraught path. Yeah, it's interesting that you uh, say that, you know, we, and we, talk, we commented on it earlier and about wanting to make this thing and not cut corners and go with a $40,000 budget or what have you, because <laughs> you want to make it the best you can be and, and do justice to this story. Um, and we've talked sort of about the uh, elevator pitch. Um, is it just that moral ambiguity of the, you know, what's good for the many outweighs the good of the few or the one. Do you think that's just what you want to explore? Is there anything else subtextually, or do you think that you'll discover that as you, as I hear many writers do either once you're finished or once you start filming it and realize, Hey, there's more of me or more of some idea or more of some other question I wanted to explore in this than I, than I realized, or have you already seen that? Or is it just that central question? Um, you know, there's, there, there are deeper layers to it, um, for sure. Um, you know, that, that sort of deal with my own experiences and beliefs regarding faith, Mm. you know, and what people in general choose to have faith in, um, and whether or not that faith requires proof or not. And then if faith requires proof, then it's not faith. Um, you know, and, and, and sort of dealing a little bit in as breezy and entertaining way as you can with those ideas of what are, what are our articles of faith? You know, what do we have faith in? Um, and what happens when that, those tenets of those faith are challenged? Um, you know, like the, the, the needs of the many outweigh the, the needs of the few or the one is like, I'm gonna steal a bit from Star Trek here and put in the log line because we all know what that means. Um, it's easier to articulate than it is to sort of try to get into, you know, these, these layers of self-examination on my part 
as well as the sort of rigorous examination on some of the characters' parts of, you know, how to reconcile what seems to be true with what they believe to be true. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you say that because while the that that moral quandary of the needs of, of one versus the needs of many is a very interesting idea and something I, I find fascinating, it's not necessarily the most relatable idea. And so with you talking about faith, I think that's something a lot of us, especially myself, who went to Catholic school for the first nine years of his life, uh, can really relate to, you know, that that questioning, that, that logic, you know, versus emotion part part of us. And I think we all can relate to that um, in a very fascinating way. And I think that that's a lot of what the favorite episodes of, of Twilight Zone for each of, each of our own favorite episodes, it explores something, I think, that is so relatable at the at the time so i'm going to ask you so if you have any favorite episodes and it can be from you know any of the versions the old 60s one uh the reboot in the 80s or whatnot but i'm going to give you mine first so mine is from the 80s one when i was you know around <laughs> 10 or 12 and you know certainly a, a time where things make a big impression on us during the cold war and that was always a fear that i had you know i'd lay in bed at night wondering if the bombs were falling my favorite episode is this one where this woman is working in her garden and she digs up this, this necklace, this gold necklace that has a little um, sundial on it as the, as the pendant. And as she, she's, you know, kind of a mom and very harried and, you know, working husband and many kids. And um, she, she gets this and it looks very beautiful and she cleans it up and she's wearing it later on that night at dinner and her kids are arguing at the table and the dog's barking and she just kind of loses it. And she tells everybody, shut up. And time just freezes. It turns out that this sundial has the power to freeze time. And she uses it throughout the episode. Some Somebody comes to her door, like some kind of a, you know, a, a religious group. And they're being very, um, you know, condescending to her about not having time to go to church or whatever. And she, she tells them to shut up and then moves their bodies onto her lawn and lays them down and then says, start talking. And then they wake up and real like, what happened? At the end of the episode... She's driving in her car, heading home, about to pull in onto her street, and she hears on the radio, the bombs are indeed falling. Mm. And she pulls into her driveway, she gets out of the car, she looks up, she can see the, the rockets, the ICBMs coming down in the sky, and she yells, you know, stop, be quiet, shut up, I don't want to hear anymore, and everything freezes. And that's how the episode ends. Like, is she going to go through the rest of the work, you know, rest of her life with everything frozen, being the only person? Is she going to let the bombs fall, let nature take its course. I mean, that was something as a kid I could relate to so much, you know, because I, I had that fear. And these are the power of these kind of stories that can can reach and, and touch us. So do you have any favorite episodes of, of Twilight Zone that kind of just, I mean, that's the one episode, I w watched them all, but that's the one that I still, that still sticks with me. You have any similar? Yeah. I need to revisit the 80s um, version of the show. Like I, they, they don't get rerun nearly as much as the classic ones do you know and so i end up strapping in for a marathon of the classic every like labor day or new year's day or whatever whenever sci-fi decides that we all need a good dose of the old um the old goods um the, the the ones i mean i like i love to serve man i think that's it's it's an easy pick you know eye of the beholder is another fantastic one um occurrence on owl creek bridge i also love but the one that I always kind of come back to, and I love Nightmare on 20,000 Feet, clearly, um, but is the Midnight Sun. 
Um, and it's this one where this, this woman um, is living in an apartment with like, you know, her next door neighbor and her child and, and it's crazy hot. They're in some record heat wave and, and the heat never seems to be dying down to the point where there's like no more water. The electricity is beginning to burn out. Like there's no ice. There's no way to cool off. And the, the mercury just keeps on rising, rising, rising um, to the point where she she ultimately like gets sick. She comes down with like heat stroke or something. And so she's in she's in her bed and just fever dreams of, of uh, you know, seems like she's going to die. And then like by the, whatever, like, 20 minutes into this thing, you then cut and realize that in truth, they were on a planet where the sun has vanished or had like spun off its axis or whatever. They're going through a record ice age. And in truth, everything was too cold. And so her fever dreams were actually of a world that was too hot when she's about to freeze to death. And just that the sort of like the, the ebb and flow and then the snap at the end of it, which is no, she's in an equally perilous position but it's of the complete opposite um, intensity. Um, and I just, I loved that feeling of, I thought I knew what this was and I thought I knew why I was here. Um, but it turns out it's a completely different thing that's just as harrowing, but different. Um, and our problems are almost the same, but completely opposite. Um, you know, and what it does to you, like what it does, what that desperation does to a person. There are always human stories. That are that are sort of influenced by the supernatural or the impossible, and and that was kind of the thing that I was hoping to try and achieve here um, with Splinter. Um, but yeah, I definitely need to find out where the '80s you know reboot is streaming because I also remember Shatterday, um, this Bruce Willis episode where he plays a guy who discovers that there's one day of the week where his doppelganger gets to run wild, and his doppelganger doesn't want to give him his life back, and um, yeah, no, it was super cool. I love the Twilight Zone. Let's make yeah, Twilight Zone. Yeah, there's some great episodes in the 80s. Another one that I remember is that there's a Sherman Hemsley one where he takes on the devil. There's another one where a language just changes for a guy, like words just start mm. to find different meanings, and he has to, he's there with a picture book <laughs> trying to learn what Because <laughs> now bread is dinosaur and, and that kind of thing. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just fascinating. Uh, well, why don't you let our, our listeners know uh, if they want to join the campaign for Splinter? Uh, there's so many tiers and so many choices. What are some of the, the tiers that are still uh, available? Cause I know some of them have already, uh, have already filled up. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I think at, at this point, the, the easiest way in is there's, there had been a bunch of tiers with sort of limited time or limited number of rewards. There was, you know, tiers for being an extra in the film, tiers for being, you know, a producer, tiers for, um, you know, one of the ones that I, that I had enjoyed, the, the possibility of getting to do the most was um, a, a sort of one-on-one story review tier where you would send me whatever it is, hundred pages or less, I'll read it and we'll get on a Zoom for an hour and then we'll talk about it. And, you know, I would I would offer as much guidance as, as desired or just, hey, if you want me to tell you this was awesome, I'll tell you this was awesome. But if you want me to tell you what I think, then we can also do that. Um, you know, but I think there's now lots of tiers that are just, hey, you want to get the movie, you want to get a poster, you want to get a copy of the soundtrack, you want to get um, a sort of portfolio. My my cousin um, happens to be a high-end fashion photographer. Um, and he was like, I want to come and I want to shoot stills on your movie. It's like, I want to be your behind-the-scenes photographer. And I said, that's great. Uh, it feels like it's a you know below your pay grade, but we're going to have this cast 
um, that luckily happens to be gorgeous and you shoot fashion photography, let's put together a portfolio by the time we're done with this thing and we can have these gorgeous sort of glossy, you know, Vogue caliber photography of this cast. Um, and so we'll make that one of the rewards. The podcast now, the, the Splinter um, Companion Podcast will now be part of every reward tier. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, I think it's 25 bucks to get a copy of the movie. If you're getting a copy of the movie, then you can have the companion podcast as well. Um, so I think in the, you know, 25, 50, hundred dollar, even $150 ranges, um, there's still a bunch there that's left to do. If you're feeling particularly ambitious and, or like you stumble into a lottery winning that you don't know what to do with, there's still a couple of very high end tiers. I think master of the skies tier is still available. Um, where you get to be an executive producer. Um, it's expensive. It's there. So, you know, choose wisely. Don't, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't get yourself in hock in debt to simply become an executive producer of this thing. I don't want that on my conscience to discover that you went to like Atlantic city and found a pawn shop and got rid of your, you know, grandma's pearls to be a part of this. Don't yeah, do that. Don't, don't, uh, <laughs> don't sell it. Don't sell a kidney. Um, we all no. want to experience it and we're going to get to, so contribute uh, within your budget, obviously. Uh, well, the campaign runs until Friday, June 18th uh, at 11.20 a.m. Pacific time. So there's a little more than three weeks to go, uh, or actually as you, as this is being released, exactly uh, three weeks to go. So uh, there's plenty of time to, to join. And uh, and like I said, it, it's almost like you've built this little community uh, around this, this film. Um, and, and, and this is the most pure form. You know, we, we were talking earlier uh, Mark, about uh, what you love about comics, about there being fewer layers between uh, the, the people who are collaborating and creating something versus uh, the fans and, and the people uh, who get to see it. That's, that's very much exactly what Kickstarter is. You've removed so many of the layers that come with, you know, creating a television show or a, a film show. So um, have you have you enjoyed that aspect already? Have you had the chance? I know you're so busy because uh, you really have created this little splinter community already. I mean, it's been it's been really interesting, you know, and and rewarding and fun to be to get to engage with some folks who you know hit me up on Twitter or Instagram and say, hey man, I, I just donated. I can't wait for this. I'd love to, you know, I'm happy to help be a part of this and and getting to to sort of feel this collective dream for some people, which is you know for some it's hey man, just wanted to throw a couple of shekels into the into the pot for you. Others. Well, like I've always, you know, I've shared a dream like this, but haven't been able to do it yet. So I'm living vicariously through you. Um, you know, other people are like, yeah, I want to do this. And so I want to, you know, sort of be close to in proximity to somebody who's trying to make it happen and, you know, learn from my mistakes from which I'm assuming there will be plenty. Um, but, you know, the, the, the thing that I also love about a comics and, and television, especially writing TV is that feeling of collaboration as a as a sort of furnace that can help mold a thing into its final its final form? You know, when I look forward to having those conversations with collaborators who are challenging an idea, you know, and hopefully by the uh, the outset of that, we can burn away the impurities and find the thing that it's supposed to be. You know, the the best part of being in a writer's room, especially one that's, that's being well run, is best idea wins. You know, like, sure, I might have written the pilot, I might be the executive producer, I might be the showrunner, but if you, first-time staff writer, have a great idea, then it ends up in the show, because we're here to make the best thing we can. And so, 
you know, finding collaborators who feel as if they're willing to embark on this journey with me and empowering them to do their jobs to the best of their ability and then listening to them when they have differences of opinion that they can articulate and defend. And then, okay, what's the best version of this? How do we, how do we tell this story in the most clear and, and exciting way? And if I'm wrong, I'm happy to be wrong um, because at the end of the day, we will all have made a movie together and all of our names are on it. And I want nothing more than for that thing to be the best version of itself. And, uh, and again, everybody, this thing wouldn't be even as far along as it is if it, if it wasn't for all the support on, on Kickstarter. So become a part of it, you know, go and back it. I, I can't wait to see it. I, I look forward to, I don't know, a screening at, at, uh, at San Diego Comic-Con or something like that uh, and, you know, find a way to get it out there in the world. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited for it. I'm excited for you to, to uh, and, and the cast and crew and everybody that's involved to, to have that experience of making it uh, and then you know, getting to experience it, you know, myself, uh, as a, as a complete story. So, uh, fantastic. Congratulations on the success, Mark. I, 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 you know, hope the campaign continues and, uh, I can't wait to, to start getting updates, you know, to, to see your, your social media. Hey, first day of filming and, and that kind of thing. I, I very much look forward to that. Yeah, man. Thank you, Jace. It's been a, it's been a roller coaster already. And I realized that we are just literally on the line to get to the roller coaster. Right. Um, so once we once we get on that first chain lift and that first drop, um, yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to be sharing it with this community, which uh, I did not think would exist five days ago, but now I'm incredibly glad that it, that it does. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So uh, I'm going to put a link everybody to the Kickstarter in the show notes as always. So you can go click there and find it. Uh, I'll also put a link to uh, Mark's social media. Uh, I'm, I know you're very active on Twitter. Is that the best place for people to, uh, to follow you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram is, uh, is kind of where I'm, where I'm living my social lives these days. Um, Facebook is almost dead to me. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm so, so close. Uh, yeah. I'm the same. I, I kind of avoid it. Uh, like the plague. So uh, I'll put a link to, uh, to Mark's Twitter and his Instagram as well. As you can go in the show notes, click there and find it. And, uh, you know, we hope to have Mark. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, my wife just got dogs go crazy. Uh, and we hope to have Mark uh, back on at a later date to talk more uh, for a Top Cow Thursday episode about genius. I want to get into some of the, the, the nuts and bolts about that. Maybe we can see if Adam Freeman can, uh, can join us because that's an incredible story that I think not enough people have, have read and checked out. And it's, it's amazing. I just recently reread it um, like maybe a month ago. And I was like, man, I forgot how good this thing is. So I want to oh, definitely want to have you uh, back on to talk about the themes and the ideas and, and whatnot. So I'm pretty uh, sure we can convince Adam to come aboard. Yeah, that would be, that would be fantastic. So uh, as we're winding up here, Mark, anything else you want to uh, let our listeners know? Anything else you want to share? Um, you know, not really. It's just um, I, I remain in this weird, you know, state of um, emotional arrested development where I'm, I'm in this perpetual, like, weird smiley glee about the the response to to kickstarter to, to splinter and you know to get to make a thing you know i feel like if you're a creative person in any way getting to exercise those demons by sharing the demons is the is the path forward so the fact that we get to do this with this is a is a treat yeah fantastic so uh, just a reminder everybody uh even if you can't join the campaign please share it on social media 
got about three weeks until the campaign ends. Link in the show notes for social media and the Kickstarter and what have you. So uh, we want to thank all our listeners uh, for all their support as always. Or uh, if you're checking this out on YouTube, uh, be sure you subscribe to LRM Online for all kinds of pop culture news, TV uh, show interviews and uh, movie interviews and whatnot. Um, So thanks for joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.